You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So as, um, as the students point out, just a couple of things. Uh, you know, we have our Wilder Minds reading cohort going on, and we always choose four books over four months. And the first book, which is a great book, um, was a dense book to read. And I know some of us, you know, are still in that book trying to move through it. The uniqueness about the reading cohort is I want to give you three reasons why I wished all of us would do at least one book in it. Uh, reason number one, it teaches us how to sit with hard conversations, maybe even disagreeable conversations, while also encouraging our hearts with good things. Um, and that in and of itself is a beautiful thing. Two, when you register to be, a Wilder, uh, to be in the Wilder Minds Reading Cohort, like right now, we, we've started The Good and Beautiful and Kind, Becoming Whole in a Fractured World by Rich Velotas. It's a beautiful book. It's filled with practices and just really, really beautiful theology and practice. He's a pastor, a theologian. It's good. One of the benefits of being in the reading cohort is you can look into the group, find somebody you know, and say, hey, you want to go to coffee or meet and talk about the book we're reading. So it's like built in, like opportunity for relationships. And some of us are, you know, trying to find relationships. So you can say, hey, let's talk about the book together. And then when we come together, the third reason, when we come together and we talk about the book, we not only learn how to sit with conversations that both we agree with and disagree with, we also learn how to have them. And if there's something our society doesn't seem to know what to do very well, is how to have disagreeable conversations. Right, right. And so the reading cohort, when we get together, creates that opportunity. And the bonus is um, all of the authors of the books join us during the gathering. Um, so they'll join us in Zoom, and we'll get to ask them questions about the book they wrote. Uh, we'll get to ask them. They'll get to tell us some of the things that you don't get in the book. And the one thing I always caution everybody to do when they read any book is always remember when somebody writes a book, they have spent and invested years of time and research and study. So when we disagree with a book we read, let's be humble and recognize that we didn't do that much work. Um, now, we can disagree for sure, but let's at least right, sit with right. a sense of humility that this person put in some work behind this statement. Um, and just ask some questions of it, which then when the author joins us, we can ask those questions because the authors are friends of mine and they are, they are usually pastoral uh, leaders, so they understand how to have hard conversations. So I really want to encourage you to, uh, to, to listen and to join in and choose. So this month is the good and beautiful kind. You don't have to finish the book to come to the meetings. You don't. You just start it. Um, then the next one. It's called What Makes You Come Alive, A Spiritual Walk with Howard Thurman. Um, great book if you want to read that. Uh, and then finally, This Here Flesh, Spirituality, Liberation, and Stories That Make Us um, by Cole Arthur Rowley. It's just like uh, some of us have already started that book, uh, and it's just like, like taking in poetry. It's, it's just a beautiful book. It's, it's not poetry, but it's written so poetically. Um, so choose and, and join us. All right, caveat. Today's uh, word is going to require something of me and require something of you. So please, please hear me. Because this is what I don't like about preaching. Is that I stand up here and talk for 30 minutes. Or 35 minutes. Or 30, no, stop. 37, <laughs> Susie. Um, no, sometimes 20. We're in church, we need to be on. <laughs> Fred, don't lie. Um, 
But what I don't, what I don't like about it, it's like I'm talking. You know, it's, sometimes it's too monologue. It's too one way. Right. Uh, so I want to create two way today. I want to create dialogue. So if at any time I'm saying something and you got a question or you got a thought, like raise your hand and I'll call on you. Now, if you start preaching, I'll redirect from you. Um, you know, but like I want to make sure we have some, some, some conversation here. But here's what it's going to require of all of us. This isn't the kind of message that I can offer you and it end on Sunday. It's too deep. It's going to be wildly simple. And that's actually what makes it deep. Because the only way what I offer us today is if each one of us take it with us. So with that being said, you're not going to find the notes in Church Center app this morning. I'm going to have all the scriptures up. What I'm going to do instead is I'm going to cut and paste my entire manuscript in Church Center app this afternoon. So you have everything I said so you can take it for what it is, measure it with the spirit, discern it in the spirit, and above all things, dive in into your own self-reflection. Does that make sense? Are we good? Yeah. So that's the caveat. So please, if, if I start losing you, like stay with me if you can, um, and, then, and then take this with you, please, um, because I need this word. I need this reminder. So much so that I was struggling in offering a word today. I wrote two messages today um, and could not decide which one I felt like the Lord wanted me to offer because both were sitting with me different. Um, and then I was trying to think, like, like, what do I offer to people? And up until this morning... Like, I was going to get up early, but the bed was comfortable, so I didn't. And so then I woke up in a slight panic because I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, which is a day in the life of Fred Liggett. But, I, but like today, I didn't know, like, what am I offering the people of God this morning? Uh, and out of nowhere, just to share with you really quickly how the Lord works, I got a text from a dear friend of mine who's also a pastor. He never texts me on Sunday because, you know, Sunday. Um, and out of nowhere, he texts me and he says, Hold on, let me find it, because I get texts during church from even some of y'all, which is a whole different thing. All right, um, so he says, he, he says, bring the word today, bro. Give him Jesus. I have no idea why, but I feel like God wants me to text you that, praying for you and love you. And I was like, yo, you don't even know. But then he had a caveat. He said, and if someone else is speaking at WCC, you can still bring it and give them to somebody. <laughs> I think I covered the bases. And I was like, this is it, because I was feeling a sense of assurance toward what I'm going to offer today. But then that text was just like a sense of assurance. So now I could be misreading that, right? But I believe that's how the spirit works. So there's probably a word for all of us today, right? All right, so first question. What gets in the way? What do you think gets in the way of our generosity? Fear. Okay, fear. What do you say? Yeah, our own mind maybe overthinking it. Okay. What else do you think gets in the way of it? Greed. Huh? Greed. greed. Yeah, greed. Like in its worst forms, right? Or even in its lightest forms, greed. Greed has such a dirty word context to it, but, it's, but it can just it can mean greed. I mean, it's just being stingy, right? right? Tunnel vision. Tunnel vision. Where like we are so one-minded and one-track that all we can see are the things that we're after and not all the needs and other things around us. What else do you think gets in the way of generosity? Barb? Busyness, like, so, yeah, absolutely, Dave? Selfishness. Selfishness. Sean? Trust issues. Yeah, false notions of scarcity. I mean, we're kind of all swimming around the same thing, so we got trust issues. Like, do we trust God to provide? Do we trust the people we're trying to help? Like, selfishness. I've got drives, which can create tunnel vision, which kind of create greediness. We can overthink all of these things, and we can find ourselves just in fear. There's so many things that can get behind 
uh, uh, get in the way of us becoming a generous people. Because we know we serve a generous God. What is it that God hasn't given us? I mean, Natalie read the verse that we opened this entire series with this morning. And Natalie, that's of the Spirit. I don't know where you are. That's of the Spirit because I didn't, like, I wanted to include that verse, but you did. So that works. Um, That God has already given us what? Everything that we need for life and godliness. God ain't going to call you to something that God isn't going to give you what you need to complete. Like, that's the thing. So if God calls me to generosity and it's a radical form of generosity, then God's going to provide for me in that. Because the generosity, even though it is always for the good of a neighbor, it is always to the glory of God, but bound up in all of that is also my own transformation. I'm transformed in that experience. Because I realize at that point, I might be the answer to someone else's prayers. And that's how like, the movement of God carries out, right? But then there's all these things getting away. Now, I agree with everything everybody said. I would boil down to one primary thing that is almost so obvious and so seemingly like disturbing and maybe even embarrassing that we don't always realize that this very well and biblically seems to be in the mind of, 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 the, Bibli- of the writers of Scripture the core problem to all generosity barriers and frankly, all other sin, and that is pride. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to overwhelm us with a lot of Bible verses, um, and it's not going to be all that encouraging, so sit with it, because we have to see what Scripture says about it so we can capture the rhythm that Yahweh has in Scripture to help us keep this notion of pride before us. All right? First things first. We started out the series with this. So as Yahweh is uh, first teaching his people uh, what it means to be a society that lives with Yahweh as king, uh, he reminds them of this most basic truth because it's the most basic truth we easily forget. In Deuteronomy 8, 17, you may say to yourself, everybody say it with me, my power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me. But remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth. In order, though, in order to confirm his covenant, his promises that he swore to your fathers. In other words, the blessings and the gifts that we carry in our lives are a witness to God's goodness. You hear me? You with me? So your abilities, your know-how, your, your, your wealth, your wealth of resource, your wealth of knowledge, your wealth of ability, your wealth of capacity, your wealth of virtue, your wealth of character, your wealth of competency is a witness to the goodness of God when we put that on display, not for ourselves, but just because it's right. Just because doing good is good, and doing right is right, that gives God the glory. Later on in the wisdom literature, it gets named a little differently. Proverbs 8.13, I hate pride and arrogance, corruption and perverse speech, just twisted speech, talking out of two sides of our mouth, right? Proverbs 11.12, when pride comes, disgrace follows, but with humility comes what? Wisdom. Wisdom. Proverbs 14.12, there is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. Proverbs 16.18, pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. 
Psalm 20, verse 7. This is a knock at, at militarism and putting hopes in it. Some take pride in chariots and others in horses. You could change that tanks and bullets and bombs. But we take pride in what? The name of Yahweh our God. Now the prophets even got in on this. Isaiah 2.11, human pride will be humbled, and the loftiness of men will be brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted on that day. Amos 6, verse 8, the Lord God is sworn by God's own self. This is the declaration of Yahweh, the God of hosts. I loathe, that's a strong word, by the way, in Hebrew. I loathe Jacob's pride and hate his citadels. You know what citadels are, right? Okay. These are all knocks on violence, y'all. So I will hand over the city and everything in it. Jeremiah 13, 17. But if you will not listen, and this is the thing. Let me pause. We read, the, we hear these verses, and we hear Yahweh say, I hate, I loathe, I despise. Here's why. Okay, I, I want to offer an idea as to why. Yahweh also says things like this in Jeremiah 13, 13 17. But if you will not listen... My innermost being will weep in secret because of your what? Pride. My eyes, Yahweh says, come on now, will overflow with what? Tears. For the Lord's flock has been taken captive. Yahweh's heart aches at our pride because pride brings heartache to our lives. And Yahweh doesn't want our lives filled with heartache. The reign of sin and death is working to do that. These words, as strong as they are, were to remind the people who claim Yahweh is Lord that they can't trust in themselves and they don't have to. Yahweh alone is fairly trustworthy so they can rest. So they can rest from all the gripping, from all the grasping, and live freely. Everybody say live freely. Live freely, live freely dependent. Sounds like a contradiction in terms, right? Live freely dependent upon Yahweh. These words are also to remind them that forgetting all of this will bring heartache to everybody. Yahweh's heart aches due to pride because pride brings heartache to us. Yahweh's love is stubborn, so much so that Yahweh will do whatever it takes to liberate us from ourselves. And pride is always the temptation. Pride is about God refusal, but not in a way we might think. Pride is different from confidence. We're allowed to be confident. It's not limited to the boastful or the pompous. Pride is actually more subtle than that. Hear me out. Pride is when our thoughts quietly shift to where we make decisions that slowly place ourselves at the center of our lives rather than our love for God and our love for neighbor. It's a subtle, quiet move. It's living life on our terms and in our own way. Pride is excessive belief. Everybody say excessive belief. Excessive. It's excessive belief in one's own abilities. And that excessive belief interferes with our recognition of God's grace and our love for our neighbor. 
There's a verse that says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. We are allowed to think of ourselves with a sense of confidence, right? Love your neighbor as you what? Love yourself. But when we have an excessive belief in our own abilities, it gets in the way of our recognition of what God has been doing in our lives. Don't say that you did all this on your own. My power and my strength. Remember that verse? I'm the one who gave you the power and the strength. Right? Like that's the thing. And that kind of excessive belief will get in the way of our love for God. More importantly, it gets in the way of our recognition of God's love for us. God loves us no matter what. It gets in the way of recognizing that. And it gets in the way of us recognizing our need to love our neighbor. For thousands of years, pride has been called the sin from which all others arise. So you know the vices of life. We did a, years ago, we did a seven vices series, the capital vices. Um, you know on their vainglory, envy, wrath, slothfulness, lust, gluttony, greed. Pride has this kind of cycle to it. I want to put this up here. When we're drawn away by pride, it leads us to self-absorption. Everybody say self-absorption. self-absorption. Where all we see is me. My world, my life, my things, my needs. Every conversation I have is about me. Everything about me is about me. Everything about the world is about me. And it's a subtle thing where every conversation I'm in turns to me and my needs, not your and your needs. You see what I'm saying? Like, we don't call that pride, but that's a form of pride. It's also maybe some other trauma bonding things, but that, that pride is there, right? Like, that's a part of what happens. And, or where, where this self-absorption is just about what I've accomplished, what I've done. Y'all, we live in a culture of platforms. We live in a culture of podcasts and social media where all accomplishments can be seen, where we can brag on ourselves all the time. We live in a culture where everything is accessible, where everybody can write and be known and be known and be known and be known. And even though our desire to be known is of God, our desire to be known for the sake of fame so that other people will say how awesome we are is what the Bible calls vainglory, which is a form of pride. And we're seduced into this notion. It's a bumper sticker life. Churches do it all the time with church branding. Right? Like like we do these things and it's subtle. It's subtle. Everybody say it's subtle. subtle. I just need you to remember this is subtle. Because again, I've never met a Christian who woke up and said, man, I can't wait to be prideful today. Never met a person one of the day. No more than I've ever met a person who said, man, I can't wait to worship my idols today, y'all. Like I've never met somebody who's like that because this is subtle. And this pride that leads to self-absorption leads to this notion of self-sufficiency. Because I can do me. You do you, I do me. My truth. My way. Right? I can handle it. And this self-absorption leads to this form of self-sufficiency that leads to this form of self-reliance where I don't need anybody. I'm free. I can do me. And that self-reliance can lead to self-indulgence. And this is what I call the cycle of pride where self-absorption leads to self-sufficiency that leads to self-reliance that leads to the self-indulgence where we just take what we want to take and do what we want to do because simply I can. And this cycle that leads us in this direction is what moves us toward gripping and grasping and please hear me where we begin to form disordered loves. Everybody say disordered loves. 
where we form disordered loves, where we can love the wrong things or love the right things too little. Come on, everybody say too little. Or we love the right things too much. We can love the right things too little. We can love the right things too much. It's not always loving the wrong things. Does that make sense to y'all? Can you think of anything in your life that you've probably loved too much? That it's done something inside of you that's led you to fear, responses that's led you to gripping and grasping? Or maybe you've loved something too little that has pushed you in the other direction. I think this is why John wrote in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, For everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, which is another word, lust is another word for saying like almost like an insatiable appetite, right? And the, read it with me, pride in one's lifestyle is not from the Father. It's from the world. So when we see it, when we see insatiable appetites for things, when we see this kind of excessive belief in one's own self, no matter whether it's wearing a coat jacket standing in front of you, offering a word on a Sunday, it's not of God. And this is why this was Hard even for me to write because I'm having to do some self-reflection in this, right? Like with the rest of us. It's not going to stop today. It's a gut check. We still, though, are prone. And maybe that's what John knows is that we're prone to attempting to live life on our own terms and in our own way. And so Jesus, looking at his disciples in John chapter 15, says this in verse 1. I am the true vine. My father is the vineyard keeper. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine. So neither can you unless you remain in me. The kind of fruit that creates human flourishing. The kind of fruit that nourishes the lives of those we love. The kind of fruit. Think of the language of fruit. The kind of fruit that nourishes our neighbor's life. The kind of fruit that nourishes our own lives. The kind of fruit that brings health and life and goodness cannot come. Unless we have grounded our life. In the teachings and the life of Jesus. He goes on to say some hard things. He says, the one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. And when he says that, he doesn't mean literally nothing. He means anything sustainable. Raise your hand if you want to live a life of a legacy that is sustainable. Right? That's something your kids talk about and your kids' kids talk about. Not so you can be known, but so that your life matters to the glory of the God who knows you best and loves you most. That we have to constantly ask ourselves, am I following the way of Babylon? Am I following the way of a nation state? Or am I following the way of the kingdom of God? 
Am I following the way of my grandmama who loved Jesus? Or am I following the way of Jesus who loved my grandmama? Right, right. You see good. the difference? Yeah, that's good. That's good. Is what I believe and is what I'm doing, could it be found in the life and teachings of Jesus? Because if it can't, I need to rethink it. That's what it means to be in Jesus. Yeah, it's trusting in the blood. Yeah, it's knowing you can't save yourself from the reign of sin and death. Sure, it's all the whole get to go to heaven when we die peace. But it's also about learning to live in such a way that we bring a little bit of heaven on earth like Jesus prayed by how we live and love our neighbor and our enemies. Right? And so we have to ask these questions. I think that's what Jesus means. And he says in verse 6, if anyone does not remain in me, he's thrown aside like branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they're burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it'll be done for you. My Father's glorified in this, that you produce much fruit and demonstrate you are my disciples. God wants you fruitful in your life. But pride seduces us from real fruitfulness. And there's a lot of us producing a lot of fruit, but it's rotten. And pride is what's behind the rot. Even if the world looks at it and says, you are so good. You are so faithful. It's not just what I do when everybody's watching. It's what I feel and think when nobody is with me and I'm alone in my room with Christ. It deals with that too. And that's why I'm inviting you to do some reflection work when we leave together today. Because it's about what's going on in here too. And what's going on in here too. See what John 15, 1 is? That's Jesus' declaration of dependence. The irony of life in our nation is that we are totally committed to independence. We have this tendency to write our own little declarations of independence modeled after the spirit of our national declaration of independence that invites us to consider self-reliance and self-sufficiency as core values. And there are even ideologies that are deceptive because they talk a lot about individual liberty but do so in a way that it minimizes the responsibility of each person to have and seek the well-being of a neighbor. Yeah. Come on now. Yeah. In other words, it can't promote human flourishing for all because the center of its belief is just self. And it's subtle. But that's how pride works. And when we're formed less by Jesus' declaration of dependence and more by a declaration of independence, we take several steps closer to pride. And we slowly reorganize our lives around ourselves and our own beliefs and ideologies rather than God. We take control of self-defined happiness and we tell others that their happiness is 100% their burden to bear and that I have no responsibility or accountability to your well-being. That, my brothers and sisters, is the opposite of grace. It's the opposite of redemption. It's the opposite of love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's the opposite of even love your enemy. All of this leads us into the trap of believing that peace and goodness is self-achieved. And in this way, pride leads us to self-absorption 
and it leads us to our favorite pronoun of all in our society. And what is it? My. My rights. My entitlements. My freedom. My, my, my. And I think sometimes when I'm bent on the word my, the Lord goes my, my, my. This means when I am overusing the word my, when it's about my, that may be a sign that I am falling into the cycle of pride. And when I'm falling into the cycle of pride, I will have gripped on to a false sense of self-sufficiency that will lead to a false sense of self-reliance which in its worst forms will lead to all things self-indulgence. And then I just get to do what I want to do and live my life, my way. And it's dangerous. And we'll find it easier, beloved. We'll find it easier to ignore others because our focus is on ourselves. You see? That's how we fall into traps of thinking we're better than others. And I don't mean that we wake up one day and necessarily believe that consciously. Y'all with me? I'm not thinking that we look at each other, we look at ourselves in the mirror and go, mm-mm-mm, I am better than they are. I don't think that's what it means. I think what it means instead is this attitude of thinking, I worked harder than you, and that's how I got to where I am. What, does, what do Yahweh say about that? Okay, yeah, you worked hard, but who gave you the ability to work? Right. See what I'm saying? But we live in that society where we say, I worked harder than you. That's how I got to where I am. You got to work harder. And Yahweh says, help a brother out, though. Right, right. That's good. I saved for my rainy day. I see the rain pouring all over yours, but it ain't your rainy day I'm saving for. It's my rainy day. See, that's how it works. It's the subtle stuff. It's that subtle belief that I'm smarter than others, and that's how I got to where I am. And pride in its worst form thinks that lives are somehow more sacred than others then. So it becomes easier to disregard other people's lives or at worst just simply watch them die. Come on now. Just watch them die. Or we think somehow that our needs are more important than others. So then it becomes easier to just take from others because I can. See that's the self-indulgence part. Pride of life is what causes us to miss the common humanity we share with others. It's the pride of life that causes us so much heartache in our lives and so much heartache in our society. So much heartache, beloved, in our youth. So much heartache in our youth. And this pride of life is the fertile soil from which all fear grows. And then we find ourselves in the cycle of fear, where fear leads to self-protection. Because now you're threatening the thing that I love the best, which is ultimately me. And that self-protection leads to isolation, which means that I'm going to cut you off and cut you out and find people who do the same. And that isolation then leads to more fear. And that fear leads to more self-protection. And this, beloved, is where conspiracy theories come from. This, beloved, is where facts no longer matter and we can believe whatever we want to believe because it makes me feel better about the world that I'm trying to preserve for me. Because it's all a fear-driven reality. 
and it's dangerous, and it's rooted in the pride of life. And so Jesus tells this story, which I think he's kind of moving all out of this, because he realizes, I believe, that Fred can be entangled in fear, because Fred's oftentimes entangled in pride. And so Jesus tells a story about two people who give the opposite responses. Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14. He also told this people parable to some, read this with me, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everybody else. He says, two men went up to the temple complex to pray, one a Pharisee, which is a religious political leader, and the other a tax collector, which is a traitor to the people of Israel. Y'all with me on that? You really have contact? Tax collectors are treasonous traitors of the people of Israel. Pharisees are the political and religious leaders. The Pharisee took a stand and was praying like this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector standing far off, you notice the, uh, do you notice the language of proximity? The Pharisee that stands up in the complex, he takes the stage. The tax collector who's like, I don't, mm, I don't even know if I'm ready to get into that. The tax collector standing far as would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, for I'm a lawbreaker, I'm a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. The one who who humbles himself will be exalted. See the danger of pride? See the subtlety of pride? All right, so here's the good news. That's enough bad news. Uh, like I was right, I was like, y'all, like I'm, like I'm four pages in, I got to stop like that. Like that's how it is even. Here's the thing. You want to know what grace teaches us? You want to know what Eucharist teaches us? Right. For those who don't know, and it's okay if you don't, Eucharist is that thing we do every week. We come to this table, and we, we receive. We don't take, we receive. Y'all with me? We don't take. Yeah. Y'all with me on take? We receive the body and the blood of Jesus at the table of the Lord. And what we say a couple weeks ago, not my body, not my blood, not my table. And that's exactly why it has to be not my body, not my blood, not my table. I don't get to choose who comes to this table. So here's the truth. I don't even get to choose if I'm welcome at the table because you know what Jesus has already said? I'm welcome at the table. I may not feel welcome, but I am welcome. You with me? So are you. You know what's beautiful about the Eucharist every single week if we come to it rightly? We recognize in the Eucharist that I'm welcomed only by the grace of God. That I can't be good enough to come to the table and that maybe my religious tradition has read Paul's words about worthiness all wrong. That I come to the table recognizing I can't liberate myself from the reign of sin and death. I can't liberate myself from the pride of life that lives in my heart. I can't liberate myself from the way I want to judge others who are not like me. I can't fully liberate myself from these things. The only way I get liberated from these things is if I come to a God who has every authority and right to be upset with me, but has chosen to love me because God is love. God is not angry at you. God gets angry at pride because it breaks us. But God doesn't get angry at you and me. 
God loves us just as we are, not as we should be, because God knows that only that kind of love can liberate us into who we can be. And the Eucharist every single week is the reminder that I am just a recipient of God's grace. All I have is grace. And so you know what that means then? Here's the good news. I am liberated from the need to be self-sufficient. I am liberated from the means of I am enough. You don't have to be enough. You just need to be all of you. You with me on that? Because enough according to who? According to who? Just be you. But the fullest you that God made you to be. And Eucharist reminds you that what you are not, Christ is. What you can't do, Christ can. What you're incapable of love, Christ is plenty capable. So just lean in. Just lean in. Just come every week with your hands open and lean in. If Jesus took it with Judas, he'll take it with you. Yeah. If Jesus took take it with Peter, he'll take it with me and you. Right. Right. Just lean in. You don't have to be enough. You don't have to be self-sufficient. You don't have to be self-reliant. All you have to be is a steward, a good steward of the grace that God has given you. All you have to do is take care and responsibility of the life that God has entrusted to you. That's enough. You're going to blow it. You're going to fall. You're going to stumble. You're going to say the wrong thing and think the wrong thing. And when you do, just look at Jesus and say, Lord, help a brother out. Help me. And the Lord looks at you like, I am. I've been trying, but you've been ignoring everybody. I've been sending your way right, right, right. to tell you the truth because you don't want to be self-aware. And so then when we listen to just ourselves and we ignore all the people who tell us the things we don't want to hear because it's liable to reveal some things we don't want revealed, we then come on Sunday to the table. <laughs> and the table reminds us, I see you and I love you anyway. I know you best and I what? Love you most. I don't have to be anything other but loved. Because that's how grace works. But here's the thing. When I live as though I'm loved, that love calls me to a hunger for love. See, the work of God's love is to liberate us from disordered loves so that we can love more faithfully ourselves. See, the work of God's grace is to make us more gracious. Come on now. Because when I know that I stand in grace and I see Garrett with a mullet and I got things to say about that mullet because he reminds me of all my uncles and I, 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 look man, you don't have the handlebar. I, I thought I already passed this with you. I, I, pray, I prayed over that, Danny. I've been, I was like, one mullet in my life's enough. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.